Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 18, once again. We'll look at this verse one more time. Uh, we are going through this series. We started actually last year in 2022 uh, when we had our theme continue. We decided to, uh, I felt like the Lord wanted us to uh, dig deep and uh, learn some doctrine or just be reminded of some things that perhaps we once knew. Um, just to be caught up on different doctrinal truths in the scriptures and the major Bible doctrines. And we've looked at several of them. We're now in ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And uh, we have looked at just an overview of the church. Now we're getting into some specifics. We're talking tonight about the origin of the church. And this is a good reference for us to look at to start with tonight, Matthew chapter uh, number 18, verse number 16. I'm sorry, 16, verse 18. Just kidding. Um, I'm a little dyslexic on that one. But uh, Matthew uh, 16, 18, uh, after Peter says in verse number 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse number 18, Jesus responds and says, um, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I like that promise at the end of that verse, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And uh, we, we have nothing to fear tonight. Now, as far as the, the church, um, God, God's going to protect His church and protect His people. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we're not going to experience persecution. That doesn't mean that we're immune from um, any type of uh, harm that might come our way. Certainly the apostles, uh, once the church was established, dealt with that. Um, and and uh, throughout history, there have been people who have given their lives for uh, the faith and within the church. Uh, but it does mean that, that, that nothing can destroy this concept of uh, and, and the institution of the church that God has uh, created and instituted. So we've been talking about the church in this series, and um, there's a, there was a news article that came out uh, just after Sunday. So Sunday, while we were having our services here, there was another church service, um, and I'm going to put that in air quotes there, uh, in Germany, uh, because perhaps you've heard of uh, chat GPT and AI and the, all the rave that's been going on about that in recent days. The artificial intelligent chatbot asked the believers in the fully packed St. Paul's Church in the Bavarian town of Fuerth to rise from the pews and praise the Lord. There was a, an artificial intelligence church service happened on Sunday, and uh, the chat GPT chatbot personified by an avatar of a bearded black man on a huge screen above the altar, then began preaching to the more than 300 people who had shown up on Friday morning, actually it happened Friday morning, sorry, for an experimental Lutheran church service almost entirely generated by AI. And here's what the avatar said with an expressionless face and monotonous voice. Dear friends, it is an honor for me to stand here and preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's convention of Protestants in Germany. The 40-minute service, and you might be thinking, actually, there may be something to this AI thing. 40-minute service, that is kind of nice. Uh, the 40-minute service, including the sermon, prayers, and music, was created by ChatGPT and Jonas Simmerlin, a theologian and philosopher from the University of Vienna. 
He said, I conceived this service, but actually I rather accompanied it because I would say about 98% comes from the machine. Doesn't that sound disturbing to you? <laughs> uh, the thing is, is computers and machines do not create church. God created church and God's spirit empowers the church. And, and um, it, it, it's disturbing um, when, when, when I read articles about that. And um, it, it, it's scary what is coming ahead of us. And I don't know all the things that are coming, but it is scary to say the least. Um, but, but, but church is God's idea, not some artificial intelligence idea. Um, he was the one who ordained it. He was the one who began it. And we're going to talk a little bit about when the church began. So when did the church begin? Now, this, this has caused some debate uh, among uh, in, in, in theology circle, in the theology circle. But uh, first of all, here's, here's really, really when it really, really kind of began as, um, as a thought in God's mind. It, first of all, number one, it began from eternity past. So before we even come to Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 18, church was already in God's mind and really before the foundation of the world. And we're going to see that, that, that type of a phraseology a few times as we go through uh, this, this thought here. It's just going to be a little bit of a Bible study tonight. So from eternity past, there were some things that happened before God said, let there be light. And before God created the heaven and the earth and, and, and the stars, the moon, and, and all, all, all that is in the earth, uh, all the creeping things and all the uh, birds and, and, and man, before he created any of those things, before Genesis 1-1, God existed. God was and he always will be. Um, he is eternal and, and from eternity past, before he created everything, there was a few things that took place. First of all, uh, letter A here, he chose the elect. He chose the elect before the foundation of the world. He chose those who would end up getting saved. Now, I know when we hear the word elect, it's a scary word. Um, I'm not Calvinistic. Um, I am biblical. I want to be biblical. Um, I want to be a Biblicist, not, not Calvinistic or Armenian, uh, if you're familiar with those two uh, schools of thought. But, but the word elect is in the Bible, and uh, we won't necessarily look at that particular word, but, but the idea is that he has chosen us before God ever created the heaven and the earth. He thought of Eric Johnson. And that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I thought, well, my beginning started in 1976. I'll go ahead and say it. I'm old, I'm crusty. I get it. But here's the thing. Before 1976, I was on God's mind. He, before dinosaurs roamed the earth, before Adam was created, Eric thought of Eric, or God thought of Eric Johnson. And God thought of you as well. Let's look at a couple references, and I want to show you, and I'd like to invite you to turn to, we'll look at a couple references under each of these points. I'd like, I'd like you to see them in your Bible. So if you have one, I want to invite you to turn there. Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I, I think that these are, these are just important for us to understand. It, it goes to show how important we are to the Lord. 
Sometimes we get to thinking, ah, nobody cares about me. It'd, it'd be okay if I wasn't even here. We, we start thinking those things. That's a lie from the devil. God loves us. And God created us, and He wanted us here. He wants you here on this planet at this time in human history. In His perfect will, Ephesians 1 and verse number 4, it says, According as He hath chosen us in Him, notice this, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before God created anything, He thought of us and He chose us. Okay, one more reference, 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 2 Timothy 1.9. Okay, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who hath saved us. Talking about the power of God here. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. And notice the ending phrase of this verse, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So once again, here, these two references point to the fact that we have been chosen from eternity past. Now, this does not mean that we did not have a choice in the matter. Yes, we were chosen, but we were also given a free will, and every man must choose for himself what he does with Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that as a 12-year-old young man, I chose to receive the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And I trust that you have as well. And if you haven't done that, I hope that you will make that choice tonight to choose the new birth, to choose to receive Jesus Christ. But He has chosen those who would accept Christ. He, he chose us from eternity past. So you were on God's mind throughout human history. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you're like, well, nobody even thinks about me. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like... I'm really thankful that my, and, and I'm not trying, I'm not, this is not asking for people to uh, text or call, but I was like, it's really nice that my, my phone is not like ringing off the hook. So this is not, now some of you are going to be like, okay, I'll show you what it's like to, but I was like, it's, it's really nice. Like yesterday was my day off and, and, and it was nice to not have uh, my phone buzzing. And I'm like, I wonder if anybody's even thinking about me. The answer is yes. Now, you may not be thinking about me, but God is. And He always has been thinking about me. And He's been thinking about you too. Isn't that incredible? So He chose us from eternity past. So from eternity past, He chose the elect. And then letter B, not only that, He appointed a Savior to die for the elect from eternity past. Okay, well, where do we see this in the Bible? Okay, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So you go to Hebrews, James, then 1 Peter chapter number 1. Verse number 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, and I'm thankful for the song we just sung before the message tonight, Nothing But the Blood. Um, that's the only way we can be redeemed. And we talked about redemption at the, the first song as well. Um, we, we can only be redeemed through the blood of Christ. And, and, and that's the only way we, that, that, that was the only cure for our sin, 
But notice verse 20. So verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So yes, you and I were thought of before creation ever took place, but so was the fact that Jesus was going to die on a cross and become the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That was foreordained before creation as well. Okay, one other verse um, I want to share with you, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. So it's not like the Lord was like, oh, what's happening? Oh, Jesus, it's all out of control. No, Jesus was, and what happened was with Jesus Christ was in complete control within the will of God that had been foreordained from eternity past. So as Jesus is... Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and those soldiers come, and Judas betrays him, and it's like, oh great, this is really turning out bad. I mean, it's not great for Judas, or for the people coming, but they're really ultimately just doing, fulfilling the will of God. And, and as he goes to the cross, and people are beating him, and, and mocking him, and spitting upon him, that was all foreordained before the foundation of the world. Okay, Revelation 13 and verse number 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the uh, book of life uh, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before creation took place, God had in his mind that Jesus would die on the cross of Calvary. He'd be slain. So he chose the elect. He appointed a Savior to die for the elect, but also from eternity past. Thirdly, he planned to create a special body for the elect. Okay, Ephesians chapter number 3, and that's, by the way, what is that referring to? The church. Okay, Ephesians chapter number 3, and a couple references in this chapter here. Now, Paul's talking about the mystery. Um, he mentions the mystery here in verse number 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote it for in a few words. And then he talks about it again in verse 4, four the mystery of Christ. Verse 5 says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And so the body there in verse number six, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. That is a reference to the church. Because before God only dealt with the nation of Israel, the Jews, and those were his people. But now, with the church, the Gentiles could have that equal access to God and to His blessings, and they can be fellow heirs. We can enjoy the God's promises just as much as a Jewish person can. Okay, and then let's pick it up in verse number, uh, verse number 9. It says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world... There's that phrase, from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So uh, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. 
So, so here's the deal. Before creation ever took place, so technically the church at least was in God's mind way back before creation. That, that, that's what this is saying here. Um, so technically, the origin of the church goes all the way back to eternity past. So when did the church start? Well, you, you, could, you, could, you could argue, well, all the way back in eternity past, because that's what he's saying here. Then there's one more thought here that, that something that took place before the foundation of the world, before creation. Uh, fourthly here, he was preparing a kingdom for the elect to someday rule over. Okay, if you turn to Matthew chapter 25 very quickly. Matthew chapter 25. It's interesting to go through this, right? I, I, when I was studying for this, I thought, man, this is, this is neat to be able to consider what God did before creation. Most of us just kind of pick it up at creation and see what God does from there. But, but there's quite a bit that takes place before creation. And these are the things that God was doing uh, before the world came to be. Matthew 25, verse 34. He says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, yeah, before creation, God created, prepared a kingdom uh, for the elect to someday rule over you and I, um, as believers, are one day going to rule and reign during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. We're going to be fellow rulers. Now, Christ is going to be sitting on the throne, but you and I are going to uh, have a part in ruling. Uh, just as there's uh, one president, let's just take it uh, just in his example, we have one president of our country and then lots of governors and um, other rulers all the way down to city mayors. Well, the Lord Jesus is going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to be the one on the throne. He's going to be the president of the world, uh, the king of the world. And then you and I are going to be his servants, ruling and reigning in different ways. I'm not sure exactly which, what your assignment is going to be or what mine is going to be, but we'll all have some type of an assignment, uh, one, uh, a type of rulership. So uh, that was all decided before creation. Pretty amazing. So, technically, the origin of the church goes all the way back to before time existed. But when we look at the timeline of human history, when then did the church start? Well, a few, a few suggestion, suggested options, and I don't want to get too bogged down with this. I, I want to just give them to you and then, and then explain what, what I believe biblically is the right um, uh, time frame on when the church began. Some suggested that it began with Adam in Genesis chapter number 3. If Adam and Eve both believed the gospel that was presented to them there in the garden, as Jesus said, the seed of the woman, uh, and, and that is going, all, the seed of the serpent, seed of the woman, it's going to bru bruise um, all that, that whole Genesis 3.15. You all know it pretty much. That if they believe that, then, you know, in some people's minds, technically that could become the church. I, I, I don't believe that's true. But that's what some people uh, suggest. Um, some say that it started with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. 
that Israel once functioned as God's church in the Old Testament, and now the church functions as God's Israel in the New Testament. That's a big nope. That's a big nope. That did not happen. Um, that's, not, that's not the way God viewed it, and nor does he view it that way now. So um, some people believe it started with Abraham. Some people believe that it started with John the Baptist as the first baptizer. Remember, Jesus commanded the church to go and teach all nations baptizing. Um, that's a little closer, but, but still not, not, not it. Some believe it began with Christ, and, and, and this sounds like I'm saying that it's, it didn't start with Christ. I mean, obviously it did in eternity past, but within the, 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 life, the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth, when he called the 12 apostles in Matthew chapter 10. Some believe it started at Peter's confession in Matthew chapter number 16, where we read at the very beginning of the message tonight. Some believe it started at the Last Supper in the upper room when the ordinance of communion was first administered. Um, some believe it started at Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2, and some believe that it started with Paul at his conversion in Acts chapter number 19, because after all, he was the greatest Christian um, who started a bunch of churches that were not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Um, some believe that it started with his missionary journey in Acts chapter number 13. And so those are some options. Here's what I believe biblically we can make a, a biblical case for the origin of the church. Uh, number two here, the church began at Pentecost. And I did already mention that as a suggested option, and I believe it is the correct option. The church began at Pentecost, and there's three major reasons why I believe that. And why I believe the Bible teaches that. Because, first of all, letter A, because Jesus promised the church would be yet in the future. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to take these and they all go together. Um, Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18, if we go back there. Um, in verse number 18, he says, I say to thee that thou art Peter upon this rock. And then, and then this phrase, these two words, I will build my church. So it's not like, could it mean right now, starting from right this second? It could mean that, but more likely it means yet in the future. That If we just take that one argument, that's not enough to say it happened at Pentecost. Okay, But when you add that to the others, I believe that, uh, it points to the fact that it happened on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days from, uh, from the Passover, right? So, um, because Jesus promised the church would be yet in the future. Um, okay, then, uh, and by the way, when he said that, that also signified that it did not exist in the Old Testament era. Because um, he was saying, I will build my church. It's not... Um, it, it insinuates that it's not yet in existence. It was in God's mind, um, but not on earth yet. Okay, so um, first of all, because Jesus promised the church would be yet in the future. Secondly, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ were essential to the functioning of the church. Okay, let's look at a few of these uh, passages real quickly here. Ephesians chapter number 1. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number 1. 
Both of these are necessary, and so therefore it couldn't have happened when Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The, the resurrection and ascension are both essential to the functioning of the church. Okay, Ephesians 1, verse number 19. It says, what is, <clears throat> what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, set Him at, the right, uh, at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Um, okay, so there is a reference to the scriptures, that, or to the, I'm sorry, to the resurrection and, uh, and the power that comes from His resurrection wasn't available until His resurrection. And that's what God gives us when we believe. Here in verse number 19, um, it says, What is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? So the greatness of His power that He gives to usward who believe, that, that, that couldn't have given, been given until the resurrection of Christ happened. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 is, uh, go to chapter number 4 in this book, verse number 17. I'm sorry, verse number 7, I'm sorry. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Okay, so we know that, that, that Jesus has given gifts to the church. Well, when did those gifts get administered well after the or after his ascension verse number 8 when he ascended up on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men now that he ascended what is it um, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth he that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things he gave some apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he has given these gifts, but it happened after his ascension. So it couldn't have happened in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where a lot of people believe it happened. It started. So uh, one, more, one more quick reference here. Uh, Revelation chapter 1. And then we'll move on to uh, the, third, the third thought. Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 10. I'll start reading. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of seven golden seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto a fine brass, as if they burn in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of, his, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his hand, a right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead, 
and behold, I am alive forevermore. So this is after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He has now ascended up into heaven, and this is where he is. And now he's walking among the seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches. So he doesn't do this before his ascension. He does this after his ascension, after his resurrection, after his ascension. Um, he says, I am the first, last, I am he that liveth, was dead. Behold, I, have, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Um, and then he goes on to say in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So he's walking among the churches, but they're not. he wasn't walking among the churches before his resurrection and before his ascension. See, he's ascended, and now he's walking among the churches. So... The resurrection and ascension were essential to the functioning of the church. And last thought here, the Holy Spirit's baptism was necessary for the church, and it came on the day of Pentecost. Okay, if you go to Acts chapter number 1, you're going to have to use your thinking cap a little bit on this, your theological thinking cap. I realize it's Wednesday night. Um, but hopefully you're thinking on this. Um, Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 4. This is after the resurrection of Christ. He is about ready to ascend into heaven. In verse number 9, he does that. But right before that, here's what goes on. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And then notice verse number 5. This is a key verse here in this, in this thought. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he's referencing the fact that they're going to be baptized by the Holy Ghost and you're thinking, did we just become a charismatic church all of a sudden like that? No. Um, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is biblical. Um, it's misunderstood by many in the charismatic movement. And by the way, I come from that. That's where I grew up. Um, so I'm not being critical without having any knowledge. Um, I uh, was a part of that for uh, many years. Um, but he said, Jesus did, that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost in not many days from now. Okay? Well, then uh, we get to Acts chapter 2 and um, verse number 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And that was one big Honda Accord for them to fill in, to fit in that one vehicle. That's pretty amazing. Okay, they were all together, obviously, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we'll stop there for a quick second. So this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Does it say in that passage that they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. The word baptism and Holy Ghost are not mentioned in that, in that passage, if, you're, if you kind of went back and looked real quickly. But somebody was there on the day of Pentecost and who experienced this named Peter. 
And later in the book of Acts, he gets to uh, talking about this experience that took place this, this day. It's not just an experience, it's what actually happened. And they, um, he was talking about it in Acts chapter number 11. And let's see what Peter says, what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter number 11. Verse number 15, in the context of this, Peter goes to, in chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius, gives him the gospel. Cornelius is a Gentile, and, uh, Gen- and Cornelius gets saved, and he become, he, his salvation experience really signifies the fact that the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's now for the Gentiles. And so he comes back in, in verse number 1 of, of Acts chapter 11, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea, Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the world word. And were they happy about it? Well, let's see. Verse 2, when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to meet to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. And so they were not thrilled with the fact that Peter went up and gave the gospel to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles were now getting saved. They were not happy campers. Well, verse 4, Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. And he goes on and explains the whole situation. Now let's jump down to verse number 15. So um, he says, As I began to speak to Cornelius, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And when he's referring to the beginning, he's referring to the day of Pentecost. Look in verse number uh, 16. He says, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. See, Peter says he ties Acts 1 5 with Jesus' promise that they are going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost at some point. And then he goes back as he rehearses what happened on the day of Pentecost and says, That's when it happened. That's when we were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And from then on, all of us, at the moment of our salvation, when we trust Christ as our Savior, guess what happens? We're baptized with the Holy Ghost, and we're placed into the body of Christ. Where does it say that? One last reference. Actually, I'm going to have one more after this. Maybe a couple more. No. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 13, Paul says this, For by one Spirit are we all baptized, notice this, into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Okay, so at the moment of our salvation, we are baptized uh, by the Spirit, into the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you were born in more Oklahoma or in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter. Um, You can be um, baptized into the same body of Christ, uh, really the the universal church. And again, I, I, I don't love that term because that's not the emphasis of Scripture. I love the term local church because that's the overall emphasis of Uh, the word church in the New Testament. But we are placed into the body of Christ. And then, um, 
Okay, so that all, we, we put all that together, and that, that tells us that the church really got its start on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. And you say, why does that really matter? Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, I just know that I'm part of Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we started in 1947. So, like, you could have just said that, and we could have gone home a little earlier. Um, well, I know, I could have. But, but it's more fun to do a Bible study and learn what, how and why we come to this conclusion that the church started on the day of Pentecost. And since, that, since being baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ is the only way to enter the body... And since this work of the Spirit first occurred on the day of Pentecost, then the conclusion seems obvious that the church, the body of Christ, began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2. There we go. There's one more aspect I want to share with you tonight, and it has to do with our relationship with the church. Now, I'm not going to, I'll probably do a little bit more of a message on this down the road, but I was reading something this morning that caught my attention and caught my heart, and it goes along uh, for sure with the church. So, if you go to the Old Testament book of First Chronicles, and it's the last chapter of First Chronicles, chapter number 29. First Chronicles 29, here David is really at the end of his life. Um, he's about ready to die. He really, really wanted to build the temple for God, didn't he? He wasn't allowed to because he was a man of war. And he shed men's blood, and so as a result, God said, you're not allowed to build the temple. But he did allow David to come up with the plan and, and to give toward it and to really uh, spearhead the project and give the project to his son Solomon, hoping that Solomon would take it, run with it, and, and Solomon did. But here he's talking to, David is, he's talking to the congregation in, in chapter 29 and verse number 1. I'll read just a couple verses here. It says, Furthermore, David the king said unto the, all the congregation, Solomon my son. So you can just picture David, this elderly, elderly gentleman at the end of his life, and his son Solomon there in front of the whole congregation of, uh, of Israel that had, could gather around. And he says, Whom alone God hath chosen is yet young and tender. And the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for the things to be made of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx um, uh, stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and diverse of colors and of all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Then verse number three, here's the phrase that really catches my attention here. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God. I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. And, and, and the rest of the chapter talks about how he gives more to the temple's work from his own personal belongings and treasures. He gives those so that, because um, he knows, you know, it's like, I'm sure in the Hebrew it's like, well, I realize that there's, I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. So I'm sure that's in the Hebrew. So he realized that. So he was like, I might as well do my, do my giving while I'm living so I know where it's going. But, but that phrase in verse number 3 just, again, caught my attention. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God. 
Now, I realize that what he was saying there is he, he was just all in on thinking, and he was almost obsessed about the temple that was going to be built for God. And I realize that the church is not equivalent to the temple. But there is a phrase that he says here, the house of my God, the house of God. And that phrase is referenced to the church of God in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so here's the point. It's again our relationship to the church. Okay, we've learned tonight where the church started. And you can say, well, I disagree with you. I think it happened in Matthew 16, 18. You're wrong, but I love you in the Lord. I'm, I'm, I, 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 think, I think I'm right. I think we have good biblical proof on that. Um, but um, here's, here's the more important thing. How is your affection towards the house of God? Okay, we, we know that at some point the church started. And, and we know that at some point Cornerstone Baptist Church started. But are you setting your affection to the house of the Lord? Do you love this church? Do you love the church? Jesus did so much so that he gave his life for it. He shed his blood for it. Do you, how, how affectionate are you towards not just this place, it's, it's, it's less about 424 East Main Street, and it's more about the people that are assembled here together tonight and that will be assembled on Sunday. How affectionate are you towards the church, the house of God? I hope it's a lot. Or is it just more of, yeah, the church, um, you know, if I'm feeling up to it, I go. Um, when it's convenient, when it's comfortable, as long as I'm not doing anything else, then I'll go. As long as, you know, the weather's cooperative. And then it's not too nice, because if it's too nice, then I'm going to go out and play golf or go out on the lake or go out and do a bunch of other things. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not against people going and having a vacation and, and taking time off. I, I understand that. But do you, are you affectionate towards this, this church? Again, not the place. But this church, are you affectionate toward it? David was. He said, I have set my affection to the house of my God. Have you set your affection to the house of your God? I realize technically, I mean, you, you compare the temple there and now as New Testament believers, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I understand that. But let, let's give me a little liberty here and, and let me just encourage you to have some affection for the church that God has placed you in. Let's love it enough to be here, to be faithful, to give. David loved it so much that he was like, I want to dig deep. I want to give. I want to give for this thing. Let, let's be faithful to give. Let's not just give our finances, but our time and our energy and our talents to this, not place, to this church. And, and, it's, and it's not my church. It's not even your church. It's, it's, it's God's church. It's the house of God. Um, Jesus Christ is the head, and He is the one, He is the great shepherd over this church. And He is walking among us. It's pretty uh, sobering for sure. But I want to encourage us tonight, as we have learned about the origin of the church, 
And what does that have to do with me? Well, here's what, if nothing else, I want you to get tonight. I want to encourage you to set your affection to the house of my God like David did. And it looks different than it did for David, because that was just a, a he, he thought, well, God's going to dwell in that temple. Well, the thing is, is God dwells in each of us as temples of the Holy Spirit. So let's set our affection on these temples that are gathered together in what's called the church. With that, let's pray, and then we'll look at some prayer requests very briefly tonight. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the church. Thank you for ordaining this wonderful mystery that has been now revealed and that we get to be part of. And God, I thank you for um, loving us and desiring that we would be here so much that you even had us on your mind from eternity past. Lord, thank you that you had the uh, Savior and the fact that he was going to be slain, all that in your mind from eternity past. And uh, Lord, you had this church and uh, the church in your mind as well. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to now set our affection on the things above, yes, which would include this church. Help us, Lord, to be to love this church enough to be faithful, the services, to walk in truth, to grow, to uh, be involved, to give, to serve. Help us, Lord, to set our affection on this church, to let it become a very, very important part of us, not just an optional part of us that will go when we, when we feel like it, but, Lord, a place that we love, that it's a major priority to us, like it was to David, like the temple was to David. And Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.